the little town of Manchester, South Dakota, blown away by an F4 tornado. Come with us now, episode one of Tornado Ghost Towns. Hello, welcome back to Midwest Ghost Town. I'm Dan Klein, your host, history enthusiast, ghost town, and abandoned history adventurer. We got a special episode today as we talk about Manchester, South Dakota, a little town of approximately 40 population. And back in the year 2003, historically, an F4 tornado came along and completely wiped Manchester off the map. You can go and visit Manchester today. I'll put a map up in the visual part of the podcast. And you can see it today. They have a monument to this day talking about Manchester. And this is going to be an interesting uh, couple of episodes that we're going to be doing here um, on tornadoes that cause ghost towns. And it's not just tornadoes that that cause them. We know that there's many different reasons that cause ghost towns. Railroads, we've talked about that before. We've talked about economic uh, woes. We've talked about the boom and bust of mining being a reason for ghost towns. But another one is natural disasters, whether it be earthquakes, whether it be Mother Nature coming along, a fire being created, and there's many of those stories. But tornadoes in the Midwest, a commonality that happens quite a bit, comes along, and there could be what I already kind of call living ghost towns, towns that are probably barely hanging on in their villages, like Manchester of 40, right? They reduced that much down, and along comes a F3, F4 and in very rare circumstances, F5 tornadoes. And that's all she wrote, folks. But today, we're just going to focus on Manchester. And Manchester has an interesting history because we know that the story of Laura Ingalls Wilder out in South Dakota in the little town of DeSmet, next door to DeSmet, lies Manchester. And this is where Laura Ingalls' younger sister, Grace, ended up moving and living a majority of her life. Grace Ingalls Dow. She is buried to this day in Desmet, but the history is linked to Manchester. And so we have a little house on the prairie story that kind of involves Manchester. So it links itself to the town. Urbanization, migration, you know, historically, as people would look for jobs, it was a very rural, agriculture-centered community, which already caused its demise. It was already on its way down in terms of population. Most people were already starting to move to larger towns around the area. Before the tornado even came along, we really had a case of Manchester probably becoming extinct on its own at some point. Of course, the tornado came along and really sped that process up. So here's where we're going to be. I'm going to speed this up to the year 2000. We have a population of approximately 40 people living in Manchester. And in 2003, we have about a handful of families, a few buildings, and of course, a post office still in Manchester. 2.15 p.m. on June 24th, a tornado watch goes into effect for Southeast South Dakota. And at 7.30 p.m., a one-mile-wide F4 tornado touches the ground 
and moves toward the village of Manchester from the south. Now, before it even came to play, there was a storm-chasing team known as Twist X that got ahead of the tornado, and they released a set of probes into the path of the tornado, and these pods were able to survive and gather important scientific data from inside the tornado. I'm going to pause there for a second. If you've ever seen the movie Twister, this kind of reminds me of that whole scenario where the storm chasing team gets ahead of the tornado. They end up with the pods. They end up putting them inside the tornado and they can gather some fantastic scientific evidence. And that is what happened here in Manchester way back in 2003. They're able to gather that scientific data from inside the tornado and Tim Samaras, he is an engineer at the time, he gets credit for recording the fastest and the deepest weather-related pressure drop of 100 millibar in 12 seconds. Now that's equal to a vertical climb of a fighter plane going straight up basically into the clouds and then dropping at double the speed back down in a free fall. Let's put that in a different um, scenario to make you understand. Another analogy was this. It's like stepping into an elevator and hurling it up 4,000 feet in 10 seconds. And I'll put it in a different scenario. That would be like being hurled up over three times the height of the Empire State Building in a matter of 10 seconds. So you can imagine the force of this tornado coming in in a matter of minutes. Manchester was completely wiped off the map. So looking at the night of June 24th, Eastern South Dakota experienced a record 67 tornadoes within an eight hour time frame. Historically, this was known by locals as Tornado Tuesday. Winds of 200 miles per hour blew away over 122 years of history. Miraculously, there was no deaths in the Manchester tornado. However, six were injured. And of course, that caused the end of Manchester as we know it and the creation of the ghost town. Absolutely, you can go visit that site and you can visit the memorial that they have in its place where you can see the marker and you can read more about that. But it's an interesting story as we talk about tornadoes as being a cause of ghost towns. I'm no stranger to a tornado myself. I've never been in a specific case like Manchester's, of course. But I think locally anyone can have stories about experiencing tornadoes right here in the Midwest, whether it be friends or family or communities next door. I remember when I was a kid growing up in the small town of Cherokee and there was a tornado that came through. I was probably about in second grade at the time. And I had a, a friend, but his first name was Tony. And we, I was at his house and I remembered the storm coming through and that we heard that the tornado sirens going off and he was outside and he was of course running inside. And I, I remember distinctly him grabbing the door. And as he was opening it, his feet were just kind of being blown a little bit. This high wind was coming. It wasn't, he wasn't, um, 
by any stretch horizontal or anything like that, but he, he was definitely kind of being blown back by the wind. I remember his sister and I were inside and then she grabbed him by the arm to pull him inside so she could shut it. And we, of course, we ran downstairs to seek shelter during that storm. So you can think about the power of these winds that have gone by and, and blown some of these towns off the map. Historically, there is a, uh, a tornado story that I'm very familiar with from the date May 15th, 1968. And this is the story of Charles City, Iowa, which really made its mark as being one of three towns historically in the state of Iowa that experienced an F5 tornado. And I knew this story just because of my, my family, um, my wife's family growing up in Charles City in that area and hearing stories of this tornado walking through the devastation of the town being absolutely flattened and being able to stand on one side of the town and being able to look across and see the other side of the town because there was really nothing left. Trees that would have blocked your view before homes that were standing were no longer, they were, they were all downed and just experiencing just the high winds of what that would be. Now that particular tornado experienced 18 deaths, 619 injuries, and it crossed over 10 states. That was the line of the devastation of that tornado. Two other F5s experienced in the state of Iowa. Another one in 2008 was the town of Parkersburg. I only live approximately less than an hour away from Parkersburg and hearing the stories of the devastations of that town when it, when it struck down and communities coming together to help clean up and basically rebuild the town. But of course, this channel, we talk about ghost towns and there is another ghost town that was created right here in the state of Iowa back in 1976, the third case of an F5 tornado was a little community by the name of Jordan, Iowa. And this hit in about 1976. Now, interesting note, Jordan never was officially platted. In 1902, it had a population of 12. So we already can get this idea of just how small Jordan, Iowa was. In 1925, it, it about doubled. It was at 26 population. And by the time that F5 tornado reached the town of Jordan, their population was anywhere between 13 and 25 people. I want to go ahead and read a story about the events of that day. This is coming from the blog post from wallsofbronze.com. I'm just going to give full credit here as I read this story. Go check that out. This is a very interesting story. This is a post titled Lessons from the Jordan Tornado of 1976. On the afternoon of Sunday, June 13, 1976, I was with my family on Interstate 35, driving north into Iowa after a three-day vacation in Kansas City. Diana Ross was singing about her love hangover on the radio as I stared out the window watching the scenery pass by. As we approached the town of Ames, the National Weather Service interrupted normal programming and announced a tornado warning for central Iowa. An immense funnel cloud was spotted near Jordan, Iowa, 
we listened with concern, headed directly into the path of the storm. As we turned north into Ames, about six miles north near Gilbert, Iowa, we saw a thick dark cloud to the north and west that stretched from the surface to the sky. The horizon was completely masked by the cloud which heaved and swirled and my dad pulled our copper-colored Dodge Swinger off the side of the road as we gazed in awe. I thought I caught a glimpse of the funnel darting in and out of the cloud several thousand feet above ground level. We sat in silence watching, not knowing what was happening to our home. We waited until the storm moved on to the north and east, then eased our vehicle closer to the dirt road north of County Road E23, west of Gilbert. Dad drove slowly. Bent foam poles and down power lines lay by the side, in the ditches and along the fair of bordering the ravaged corn and soybean fields. Our house was about two-thirds of a mile away from E23, nestled between two farms on either side. We couldn't tell for sure, but as we inched closer, we noticed something was different about the properties. Pulling up to our driveway, we stared in silent disbelief where there once was a two-storied house was now a single-story shamble, the walls of which were barely erect, flimsy, shaking. The entire second story and roof were gone. Debris littered the yard, shards of clothing, broken two-by-fours, insulation, bits of siding and shingles everywhere. The blue Grand Torino station wagon Dad drove to work was rotated 90 degrees from its original position. Straw from our neighbor's barn stuck sharply like needles out of the solid trunks of pine trees. The dog kennels were wrecked, but we found Mandy, our black lab, and Spike, our Brittany Spaniel. They were shaken and filthy, but alive. Then I saw my dad wandering around the yard, head down, searching. Mom said he was looking for something, a checkbook maybe. I wasn't sure, but I thought to myself, what a numb feeling. I came across remnants of my possessions, a favorite jersey, broken toys. Only then did I start feeling a sense of loss. My dad murmured something about possessions not being important, that life is more than things we own. I'm not sure he even remembers saying that, but it was a teachable moment for me, one that I've never forgotten. Amidst the rubble, there were a few minor miracles and the roofless kitchen shelves of neatly stacked dishes remained intact. In the family room, the color TV survived the demolition caused by a brick chimney which collapsed through the ceiling. We found a sealed pressure cooker in the yard contained several canning jars, all unbroken. Despite the house collapsing on top of them, our neighbors emerged from the shelter of their basement, unscathed. In the days following, my dad went through what must have been nearly impossible task of finding a temporary home for us, contacting the insurance company, resupplying the basic essentials, coordinating with a contractor to start the home rebuilding process, all while providing for the needs of his family. Generous friends and family sent thousands of dollars in relief and overwhelming show of support. We learned that the Jordan tornado was an F5 the highest category of ferocity. Its winds had exceeded 200 miles per hour at several stages of its life, the tornado more than a mile wide. It had cut a 26-mile path of destruction across central Iowa. In all, the Jordan tornado destroyed 67 homes, including ours, 375 farm buildings, 
and 14,000 acres of crops. An estimated total damage was around 20 million. Thankfully and amazingly, no lives were lost. Even more fascinating was the rare phenomena that occurred that day. Besides the main tornado, two other smaller tornadoes were present at the same time. An F2 twister formed southwest of Jordan and moved up to join the main tornado north of town. Shortly before these tornadoes joined, a rare anti-cyclonic tornado swirling in a clockwise direction formed to the east, about one or two miles away. One other rare phenomena occurred that day that would have had a serious impact on our lives. At a point due west and about 10 miles from our home, the tornado system turned sharply right, almost on a dime, putting it on a direct course for our house. The improbable chain of events on June 13th, 1976, put an F5 tornado through our living room. Interesting story as we kind of hear that being brought from the blog wallsofbronze.com. Go check that out. It's a eye-opening account of what that Jordan tornado would have been like. And of course, now Jordan as a unplatted, unincorporated town, which we would give the definition of a ghost town today, was really caused and created it could have been there anyway but the jordan tornado accelerated that the story of tornado ghost towns expand across the midwest and other parts of the country into missouri with the story of melba into illinois with the story of parish down into oklahoma with the story of pitcher and deep down into texas with the story of glacier and many more we can go on and on and on with the story of tornado ghost towns. We hope to tell more of these stories in part two of tornado ghost towns. Right here in Midwest ghost town, starting every Monday, we'll drop part two next Monday. Let's keep history alive. This is Midwest ghost town. <laughs>